I just happened to go down this rabbit hole on the online to find out like all the different types of flavors of Pringles that have been out there. And there are some weird ones, Reed. I'm just going to ask you, would you eat the cheeseburger flavored Pringles? I mean, I'd try it. I don't understand. How do you wrap the taste of a the burger and the cheese? King crab flavored Pringles. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't taste it if somebody just handed me one, but dill pickle flavored Pringles. Yeah, I'd do, I'd do that for sure. I do like the dill pickle chips and some of the seeds. Yeah. If you could invent any flavor of, of Pringles, what would be the one that you would want to have? Man, the red can is hard to beat. You know, where my mind jumped to is popcorn flavor Pringles. But then suddenly I'm like, we're, we're jumping snacks, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you just kind of stay in your lane on that deal, you know. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 314 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Luckily, you took a little bit to get to me there because I was just clearing my mouth of the handful of Pringles I was just eating there. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's like a Dove body lotion Pringle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. Wipe it. Maybe it's a chip form, but you just wipe it on you. you know, like a hand sanitizer kind of deal. Like make it the last chip in the can. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually not a bad idea, really. Otherwise, you're like walking towards <laughs> your, your pant leg or whatever. And this is our, the new format of our show. Half Shark Tank with like no judges. <laughs> no, thank you one and all. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. The new year is off to a roaring start. Uh, I'm yeah. busier probably than I ever have been. I'm sure you are same, as well. Same. Between work and, and the new little one and all the fun stuff. Yeah. But it's all good. It's all good, busy. What's interesting is, you know, we're really starting to lean into topics, I think, quite honestly, that we're uh, dealing with on a daily basis or researching or implementing or talking about or whatever. But we'd love people's feedback, certainly. And we'd love for you to reach out, let us know what you think. Uh, we've had some nice comments online and uh, really, really appreciate that. In addition to the show, we have a website, touchpoint.health, touchpoint.health also has a link where you can sign up for the TPS report. And that is simply five articles that will arrive in your inbox at the beginning of each week. And that's all it is. Just give you something to kind of digest, look over, get some ideas, some trends, different things like that, insights. And uh, we'd love for you to sign up for that. So hopefully it's a little value add. We'll continue doing the show, certainly. We'd love for you to sign up there and uh, might find uh, some of those articles helpful. So we'll give you uh, a minute to do that, let you navigate over on whichever electronic device you may be listening on and uh, sign up, and then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. 
sure is. And read, consider this, 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, today I'm excited for us to talk about uh, our topic today because we're going to dive a little bit deep into how marketing can impact acquisition, retention, and leakage, or ARL, which happens to be one of my favorite MTV shows from the 90s. <laughs> ARL live? Yeah. <laughs> Or actually, the L was the live part, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right. Now, acquisition, retention, and leakage, though, those are important aspects of marketing. They are. I think disproportionately, through no one's real fault, I think it was just based on kind of what we could do and, and, and we're focused on. And I think, but disproportionately, we have focused quite a bit on the acquisition, maybe a little bit on retention and probably none on leakage. Leakage, to me, when I started in the space, whenever people were talking about leakage, they ended up more than likely they were physician relations people, the people doing physician outreach. We never really talked about leakage when it comes to patients, but I mean, that's when I started, but I think the tide has turned. A little bit. And I think in, and maybe this is a good opportunity to press pause for a second and kind of define what we mean by each of these. And then we'll kind of jump in and talk about each of them uh, kind of is their own little segment, if you will. So the first one, acquisition, I, I think everybody probably knows what this means, but certainly it's strategies, tactics, all that kind of fun stuff to actually go and acquire a new consumer, go get somebody. So this is where, you know, we have done things historically around, you know, form fills and, you know, trackable phone numbers and health risk assessment tools, and obviously our websites and social media and advertising and all that kind of play into this squarely. But it is the act of acquiring a new customer, if you will, if we want to take healthcare out of the equation. I think it's interesting how you said if you want to take healthcare out of the equation, because when it comes to patient retention, that typically is something that healthcare marketers didn't focus a lot on, at least many years ago, but we're moving that way. And when we're talking about patient retention, we're talking about the percentage of total patients who return for visits, right? Those people that, I, I wouldn't call, want to call them frequent flyers, but those people that that come to your organization routinely, it could be for primary care, regular primary care visits, or it could be, you know, maybe they have uh, some kind of complex condition that requires multiple care encounters. And so retaining those patients for the long haul. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you've acquired them, do you retain them? <laughs> right. And I think this is where some of the reactivation work comes into play too. You know, so it's like, how do you make sure that you have what they need when they need it? Last one on the list, leakage. And again, to your aforementioned point, a lot of times, or even still currently, we talk about this as maybe referral leakage or network leakage maybe, but it's ultimately when a patient leaves your ecosystem, if you will, and gets treatment somewhere else, you know, a competing hospital or healthcare facility. Obviously, this is where 
you know, the CVS and the Walgreens and the Amazons and all, all that kind of stuff kind of come into play a little bit, right? Is you know, are we losing people outside? You know, are they leaving going outside of our ecosystem? Certainly referral leakage specifically is when you've got, you know, someone being seen within your system and that doctor, for example, who needs to refer that patient somewhere, maybe a specialist or subspecialist, or to have like an imaging study done or something like that sends them you know outside of the network that's like kind of also part of this equation so again i don't know sometimes and again you mentioned this I, we've probably combated that mostly with physician sales and outreach or physician liaisons or something like that right where you try to build those um relationships and you know make sure people know that we have this service and that service and all, you know make try to make it easy for folks that kind of thing well, let's get into each one of those a little bit more in depth because I think there's a lot to be talked about in this day and age that will inform this and really kind of shine the light on the fact that we as modern healthcare marketers, we have to understand those three aspects and in fact, create strategies to address them. So let's start with acquisition marketing. I know that's one that we know very well, Reed, but you found a great article that redefines or, or creates a new definition that I think it's worth us talking about. Yeah. So from AdRoll, which is a company that uh, deals with advertising, you know, uh, modalities online and that kind of stuff. So anyway, they it's an article around acquisition marketing and what you need to know. But uh, the, the interesting part of this article, Chris, to your point was, and no one can see me, but I'm drawing a funnel with my fingers, you know, (laughs) here in front of me, Uh, awareness marketing is is that very top end of the funnel, right? It's the, Hey, just make sure people know we exist or get their attention or something like that. Acquisition marketing, they call out to be in that consideration stage of the uh, customer journey, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is smart and kind of interesting to think about if you want to, I'm a very visual person, but then they say, and this is what I thought was interesting. It's less about the who and more about the why. Oh, it kind of makes my mind twist a couple of times because, you know, when we have CRM and other tools and stuff like that, there's a lot of conversation about building propensity models and doing targeted acquisition and really trying to understand who customers are and creating lookalike audiences and doing things like that. But I think the thrust of that is when you say it's less about the who and more about the why, it sounds to me like what we're advocating for is making sure that we're available in multiple different places so that however someone can interact with us, they can find us and start to come down that, that funnel, so to speak. Is that how you take it? Yeah, I think so. You know, cause again, I think the awareness side of the equation and maybe that's the who part, right? It's kind of the targeting of, of this to some extent, you know, the why, you know, why is it important to them? Kind of what, what is that kind of call to action, right? That, that actually acquires or, or hooks, you know, the, the consumer to some extent and gets them into the organization. You know, if we look at the, the tactics that we typically use, you know, I mentioned health risk assessment tools earlier, I think, as we were talking. But if we look at the tactics specifically, I think there are some, it's interesting to me as, as I think about acquisition, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like if you think about like how, you know, what, what are you going to use to acquire a, a consumer? Like what, what comes to mind for you? For me right away, I mean, it's like digital advertising, social media advertising, and even traditional advertising for that matter, right? Yeah, it's that paid piece, right? 
you know, you pay money to get something, right? Right. In, in this day, in this case, it's like a lead or, or something, right? Uh, a form fill, a completed HRA, a click through to a landing page, a trackable phone number, the, the, a lot of those types of components, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, organic is kind of gone by the wayside to me a little bit. I'm not saying we can't acquire people that way. You know, something else I think that we will see more of and something we're spending time looking quite a bit at is the care gap piece. Now, I know that gets into the retention or even reactivation side, but let, let's just keep it on the on the acquisition side. You know, if you were able to take third party data, for example, and be able to pull people that have aged into Medicare, you know, or something like that and proactively reach out to them or think about like new movers campaigns that we've done for years. You know, that's a, you know, taking a certain data set and using that to now potentially acquire new consumers or new patients in this case, you can do that via email or maybe text messaging and things like that. They're, they're not purely, I mean, you're still paying, I guess, to some extent or some part of the equation, but a little bit different than just straight advertising. Yeah, it exactly is. I mean, and that gets back to that, you know, being able to try to be predictive, to try to understand how people are coming into the funnel, so to speak, and trying to draw those those triggers and, and get them to be compelled to act. You know, in our world, though, Reed, when we talk about acquisition marketing, a lot of times success is very low percentage rates. What we're talking about, like, what is, if you think about trying to do something around acquiring a new patient, we'd be really pleased as punch if our digital advertising had a click-through rate or even a conversion rate that's in the double digits. It's usually in the single digits, right? Or maybe even percentage of digits. Yeah. Because what we're talking about, it's a numbers game here. I mean, is that how you see it? Yeah, I mean, it really is. And it goes kind of back to that idea of the funnel, right? Is it from an awareness or, or kind of uh, a volume-based metric like impressions or reach or something like that you know, down to actually somebody, yeah, the click-through and, and ultimately conversion, it whittles down pretty fast. Yeah, you know, it stair steps off pretty quick. So we're talking about paid advertising and a very low conversion rate, so to speak. So acquisition marketing, while most of us probably listening in that are marketers in the healthcare setting, I probably engaged in this. We're very familiar with it. This is one of those activities that kind of has, I would say, high expenditures and low return. It's necessary, but this is one of those differentiators between the other types of marketing that we're going to talk about that makes this you know, one of those necessary evils in our toolkit. I mean, we'll always do acquisition-based marketing because there'll be a need for that. There'll be new people moving into our, you know, combined service areas. Um, that's just kind of the way it works, right? Yeah. want to be able to attract them and then ultimately retain them, which is kind of the next piece we'll talk about. Right. Well, why don't we talk about that after we take a brief break here and uh, we'll jump into what do, what is retention marketing? Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, 
David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Okay, so retention. Uh, this is an interesting topic. I've been thinking a lot about this recently, and and I'll pull from a personal example, and then we'll kind of jump into this. And so, again, remember, this is you've already acquired them, so how do you retain them for future services, right, or their future needs or, or what have you? We, we were very fortunate as an organization that we have, you know, Epic is in the HR and in one instance of Epic across the whole organization. So it's interesting to be able to pull data broadly across the enterprise to look at. And, you know, again, I, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but in broad numbers, if we look at our total service area that we service across all of our markets, and then we take that population and we look at, well, what do we have in Epic? already. It's like 92%. So like 92% of the people we can potentially provide services to that live in our in our areas in our markets, we've already had an encounter. Now, let me let me qualify that. Could be a COVID test. I'm not saying they've all had surgery, just to be clear, you know. But when you think about retention or maybe reactivation is a different way to say it. Like, I don't know that we have a huge acquisition problem. (laughs) We have a retention problem. Yeah, in many cases, I think you're right. Because, again, here, Reed, though, we got to be careful, right? Because if it is someone that just had, like, a test from us, right, that they may not be well-versed in understanding that they can also see us for other things, right? They may not think of us first or top of mind. So retention marketing gets down to this concept of – retaining a customer is a lot cheaper and a lot more effective than attracting a new one. That's right. That's right. And we do, we'll have a link to an article uh, from retentionscience.com. That sounds very well scientific, but anyway, it's called, it's called three types of effective retention marketing strategies and just a couple of stats from there. And then we'll talk through broadly some of the things that they were talking about. But to your point, you know, and we'll get more into this, but they look a lot at like the idea of the customer lifetime value and the fact that according to Bain and Company, which, you know, big management consulting firm does a lot of studies, works with a lot of people. So this is not healthcare specific, but uh, they say that it costs seven times more to attract a new customer than it does to just retain the one you already have. There you go. I don't know what that means from a patient you know, utilization standpoint, but the point being, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's not a big intellectual stretch to think, you know what? It, yeah. It would be just easier to you know, keep what we got, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. This is where experience and the experience they have with your brand becomes really important. Additional information here from the article, it says that successful retention marketing involves building that sort of that two-way relationship with your customers you don't want to churn out existing customers focusing solely on gathering new customers, right? So what you want to do is this is where we, we start to the tools of personalization, the tools of uh, experience and all of those strategies kind of come into play here so that we could build that good relationship so that they think of you top of mind when that other 
potential care need arises in their family's life. And they've got some more stats in here from like Accenture and some other folks around you know, shocker, newsflash, people like personalized messages. <laughs> yeah. So I, we won't spend a ton of time there, but they get into three call outs for you know how to incorporate, they say, retention marketing into your overall strategy. And the, the first one is uh, redefining how you measure customer value. Again, this has been my life, you know, since, you know, being here is trying to think about ROI, right? About what we're doing and like how you measure that. And it's not, I'm not, we're not unique, right? I mean, this is true for everybody in this space, but I thought this was funny because you can tell this has nothing to do with healthcare, this article, because it, because they say customer acquisition is easy to measure how much they spend in their first purchase versus how much it costs to acquire them equals your ROI. It's simple. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, they haven't done this in healthcare, but uh, <laughs> but that is true, right? From an acquisition acquisition standpoint, you're really measuring that transaction, like the message you acquired them on, you know, kind of a thing, right? If it was a bariatrics campaign or a sleep study or some heart health thing or you know, whatever it is. And then, yeah, how much did it cost to do that, you know? But what they're talking about is that zooming out or thinking more maybe kind of long vision, I guess, or kind of future state is the lifetime value of a customer. And I think that's interesting because that's when you really get into the need to cultivate and build relationships with consumers. Uh, Otherwise, you're not going to get the lifetime value, right? That's where you lose them elsewhere. I mean, I have been in this space for, you know, well over a decade. You too. I have seen so many formulas that we've tried to use to start to measure customer life cycle value or customer lifetime value in our space. And it gets really complicated for us um, for a number of reasons. The second retention marketing strategy that they outlined is going to be the game changer here. And it's something that I'm a big believer in, and that's in data-driven technology. You need to have the tools to be able to communicate to your customers on a regular basis. And you need to have those tools available that can allow you to personalize, can allow you to communicate with them over various different care modalities. I mean, back in the day, you know, over 10 years ago, we'd be trying to measure, you know, a customer lifecycle through a particular service line, an orthopedic patient turning into a rehabilitation patient. Now what the complex model of our integrated health systems are, they could share, show up at an ambulatory center, have a, uh, maybe a, a, a care in, encounter at your urgent care or even at a primary care, and then being able to kind of shift them through technology communicating to them to go into a different type of care environment, moving from urgent care to primary care, for example, or what have you. And you're moving in in different types of databases. Well, now we got CRM. Now we got data warehouses. Now we got a variety of tools available to us that is ultimately here, the data-driven technology that's there. And I'll say one thing, Reed, about this, because data science in marketing is important. I don't think we would have been here if we didn't have Amazon doing this 25 years ago. I just recently watched uh, an interview with Jeff Bezos way back when, over 20 years ago. That's when he had a full head of hair, by the way, back then. And, And he was talking about how he's doubling down on using data to drive customer 
loyalty and customer retention. And now we're doing that in our space. We are. And I would say, I mean, I know they talk about data-driven technology here, but it, I mean, it's more than just the technology in my mind. I mean, you know, you have the data governance piece uh, right? yes. in data hygiene and those, those softer topics that it's like, it's not, it's not about the technology. It's about the actual data set maybe, or like kind of what you're, because you know, are your service lines definitions consistent across your organization? And you mentioned the data warehouse, right? So it's like, okay, well, we have claims data and third-party stuff that's going in. Like, how are we, like, what is the, what is the technology utilizing to allow you to be a marketer, allow you to measure results, understand what it means to the business, you know, the, the ROI piece, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the third thing they mentioned here uh, is to reprioritize and restructure um, priorities. So again, and, and they mean this through the lens of like acquisition versus retention, right? So again, <laughs> they say, as mentioned, since it's so easy to measure the ROI of acquisition, which is hysterical. <laughs> anyway, um, but, but their point being is, you know, acquisition is typically becomes the priority because it's easier to do. Mm-hmm. You know, to your point, first thing that comes to mind, you know, paid efforts. Well, we, we kind of have those mechanisms somewhat worked out, right? Like we know how to do that. Run ads on Facebook or, you know, search or uh, retargeting and display and like all, all the things, right? Programmatic, et cetera. And so we know how to do that. And it doesn't require anything from people outside of ourselves. I think that's another piece there, right? Like we can kind of come up with the targeting and we can go maybe talk to a few folks, but we can do it all. I think the retention piece then requires, well, listen, we got to go sit down with our managed care folks or the value-based folks and understand, you know, what's going to, you know, how we prioritize and how we connect with these consumers. And then we got to figure out how to work through our patient portals and apps. And so, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a more complicated mechanism, if you will. It certainly is. And I'm also thinking about when we talk about reprioritization, a lot of times when we focus our acquisition efforts, we do it around some of those complex service lines because, boy, if we could like bring in a, let's say, a, a heart surgery patient, the contribution margin of that is significant, right? So we can invest a lot of dollars, we can get a lot of return. A lot of times when we're talking about the longer funnel here and retention, oftentimes the acquisition at the very top of the funnel maybe starts in a very low margin encounter, urgent care, primary care, what have you. But ultimately, building retention means taking them from a low uh, margin encounter to a higher margin service. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm being very cautious about saying this because it sounds really weird. We're talking about people and patients and all of that. But the whole point here is the money, the investment, the absolute lifetime return of retention marketing is significant here if and when done right. That's right. And quite honestly, it's not hard for me to make the case that it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, so when you start talking about retention uh, or reactivation, well, that's because you're providing the consumer what they need when they need it, right? It's time for your annual wellness visit. Uh, you've aged into Medicare, you know, whatever it is, right? You're doing what's best for them. I mean, it's not about 
you're trying to get them to do an elective surgery or something like that, right? It's, it's, it's building that relationship and uh, it's taking care of the consumer. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, from a priority standpoint, it may be harder, but it is more effective to both the patient and to the health system long-term. So, Well, let's take a break here, Reed, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the L part of marketing, the, the live part. Right. Yeah, actually, leakage marketing. We'll do that right after this pause. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. All right. So finally, kind of rounding this out, acquisition, again, as we've established, super easy to do and super easy to measure. (laughs) We'll set set that on the side. Uh, We talked about the importance of the retention piece. I think hand in hand with retention is leakage. And and again, we've historically talked about this kind of under the the banner of uh, referrals or network leakage, that kind of thing, a doctor referring outside of the ecosystem, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But, I, you know, realistically, it's just stuff that could happen, and so the network doesn't. Um, and so how do you, you know, how do you combat that to some extent? found an interesting article, reportingmd.com. They outlined five things to try to reduce referral leakage. And again, I think it's interesting to kind of think about or reframe this to some extent of like, well, what what can we do? Like, what what's our impact on these topics? Right. And the first one is one that seems so simple, yet is sometimes so difficult to do. And here's why. Okay, so it's communication. Making sure you have a clear communication between physicians, patients, and hospitals. And right there, that sounds so simple, yet... It's probably one of the most difficult things to do. And the reason why is that often that communication between physicians and patients and hospitals and patients are disconnected. And they're disconnected because, again, of different types of systems. But what we want to do is we want to ensure that that communication is seamless and there's overall, you know, that, that results in overall better care for the patients. So then when your outreach, your physician outreach or your sales outreach or your physician liaisons, whatever you want to call, when they're out there talking about new services, new things that your or your health system can provide to increase referral, physician referrals, at the same time, you want to ensure that if they talk to their patients, that the patients are getting the same message. And oftentimes I found in my experience that the materials that you're sharing with your physicians are not the same stuff or they're not, it's it's different content than what's actually on your website. And right there is a communication breakdown. I don't know if you've seen that as well in your experience. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, as I look at that, you know, physician patients, hospitals, the conduit in most cases now, I'm not saying it's used, but the opportunity, I guess, from a technology standpoint is, is a you know, patient portal chart or something like that, where, you know, how do you have clear communications where you give people the tools to actually do it? For one, there's consistency of message, certainly, but there's also how do we make sure that, you know, we're giving people the opportunity to connect with, and it could be, you know, virtual visits even, but 
you know, the ability to be able to connect with and ask questions. I think what's interesting here is this starts getting into weird places where you start seeing articles now where people are charging for, you know, my chart, Mel's and stuff like that. But again, it's like, you know, we want to make sure we're not hindering or, you know, giving a reason for this not to work before it gets started kind of a thing. Next one they mention here is provider and specialist information and trackable referrals. So again, a way to look at how that referral traffic is moving around the organization. So I think this is where your consistency of message comes in a lot too. You know, I think what's interesting, and I, I've seen this a, a number of times through the years, uh, and I'm wondering if this is kind of what, where you were headed a little bit, which is sales is a different thing. Or physician liaisons, or right, you know, it's some other leader in the organization, and like marketing's kind of doing their thing, and like there's not a lot of collaboration between the two. Sometimes, as a marketer, you don't know some of the market conditions that it's living with these physician liaisons or the physician sales and outreach folks. So they may be out there and hearing from physicians about capacity or market conditions or competitors or this person left or, you know, she's about to go out on maternity leave and capacities, you know, like all that stuff would be good to know, you know, as you're messaging to the consumer. So how do you better coordinate those efforts between the operations side of the house and the, and the marketing side of the house? When we go back to the data-driven technology, there is a lot of data in this space now, much more than there was five years ago that can allow us to measure that. The third way that you can help to reduce referral leakage, they say, is uh, provide ongoing quality care. Well, that's right there. Our job's done right there. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do that. Not doctor. Move on. Yep, exactly. Hire the best doctors. And, and in fact, that's what it says, right? It says if a patient feels that another healthcare system provides better care for their condition, they are more likely to go out of network. So employ expert physicians. Now, I think that that is a little bit of an overstatement and an understatement. Yeah, sure. If you're one of the top tier health systems in the country, in my experience, I've worked for a lot of like number two organizations that compete against these top players in the market. There is a challenge there because people do go to these prestigious organizations just by reputation. However, I think there is a lot to be said here, Reed, that it's not only quality, it's also the experience. And that when I, I'm starting to do some research around consumer-driven choice, right, in our marketplace, and I will say that experience has a more tenuous hold on the patient than quality does in many cases, because quite frankly, it's a big hassle to move from one health system to another health system or to go shopping for the best, you know, cardiac doctor out there and stuff like that. Here's the reality too. And I'm not saying again, if, if uh, I had AFib or, or, you know, get to that place that I need an electrophysiologist, yeah, probably more scrutiny is going to go into like where I go. But the vast majority of us, it's a convenience-based thing because we're not feeling well, right? It's not a chronic illness. It's not some massive trauma that, you know, is going to take forever to recover from. Heaven forbid we do have any of those things. But when we're talking about quality care, it's like, what are we even comparing that to? Like, I, I, It's just a weird, I, I've always had trouble with this around quality metrics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk about awards and things like that, like the U S news and world report thing or the old health grades things or whatever, whatever. 
Uh, and I'm not saying those things are holy bat or leapfrog or whatever, but like if I called my mom, she wouldn't know what any of those are or, or who won them. Uh, if I said, Hey, good news, such and such in your town, just got a leapfrog, you know, such and such. And she'd be like, I don't, what is that? Does that, what, is that <laughs> what do I do with that information? Like, I, like how, how do I even, you know, what does that mean for my annual wellness exam? Right. Now, th- is there a halo effect? Yeah, probably with some people more than others. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it means more to some people than it does others, but I think the quality care piece is, you know, our, our ability to, work with the organization to figure out, well, what do we share and how do we talk about this? And how does this play into messaging and, and outreach, right? Right. Absolutely. I, I think that makes a lot of sense there. And that kind of leads to the fourth point. Yep. Transparency. We can talk about billing transparency or pricing transparency, right? Or we can talk more on the caps side, kind of back to that quality piece. But again, People are shopping. They're looking. What does transparency mean relative to you know the decision for them to you know have health care at our place? But I do think the billing piece is a big piece of it because that stretches and it cuts across all of the, you know everything we do. What is this going to cost? Like how's this how's this work? So I think that is a big one that I think we do play a role in. I, I think we're still in kind of that weird no man's land of like. We're supposed to do it, but there's no real penalty for not doing it. Kind of, you know, it was around the transparency stuff. This kind of leads naturally to something I think I alluded to before when I talked about experience. Number five is access. Oh my gosh, access. We should do a whole episode on just access, not access centers, but access itself. Ease of use and timely access is critically important. And I think in this day and age, it's probably one of the most biggest challenges that we have in many organizations. Quite frankly, we're dealing with a lot of issues that are impeding on the access. Patients not only need to be able to you know, get care easily and understand that there's all these options within your organization, but heaven forbid, if they say, oh, you know what, I am in need of this, and then they go to try to make an appointment and you're like, great, I can book you six months from now, that right there is a leakage issue. Large wait times for appointments and procedures within the network is probably the number one reason why there is leakage in the marketplace right now. At least that's my hypothesis. Yeah. And I mean, like, how are we building relationships with our operators, uh, finance operations, clinical operations, physician operations, whatever it is, to understand this. I, I can remember talking to a client one time and they were wanting to run a bariatrics campaign in one of their markets, had markets all over, right? So they're like, hey, we're going to run a bariatrics campaign across the whole system. Well, we started looking because, again, to your point, it's like, you know, if you're going to try to sell something, it's usually ideal to have inventory. Like that, kind of how that works. You know, I'd like to buy this pair of shoes. We don't have it. It's like, okay, well, why are you selling this then? Anyway, but we started looking and realized that, you know, in that particular market, there was one doctor, one bariatric surgeon. Currently, the system was in a fight with the insurer. And so this doctor was going to take all cases to a different hospital. Well, okay, that's not helpful. So, Let's not run a bariatrics campaign and just drive business to our competitor. Then help us. So it's like, you know, why pay money 
uh, to not realize any uh, opportunity on our end. So again, when we're talking about access, it's like, you know, that stretches across the entire organization. So it's like, how are you making those, uh, those friendships, if you will, uh, to make sure that you understand those market conditions and that you have inventory to sell? Well, there we go, Reed. We covered acquisition, retention, and loyalty marketing. Suffice to say, we probably could say we are the new Carson Dailies of ARL in healthcare marketing. That's would right. You say, would you go so far as to say that? Yes. <laughs> uh, call in, ask questions. And after the break, Blink-182 will be here to play their latest show. No, I'm just kidding, actually. <laughs> but um, seriously, though, after the break, we'll be back here to uh, close out the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Well, uh, great show. Again, acquisition, retention, and leakage, uh, all things that we should be concerned with as marketers and as people that are really probably more focused on consumerism, maybe reframe that a little bit. But anyway, it's um, really important. And I think we've got tons and tons of opportunity here, especially in the retention piece. So uh, we'd love to hear feedback, thoughts, kind of what you're doing in these areas. From this perspective, I know that there are other flavors of marketing that are out there, Reed. We'd love to hear what you what you all are thinking, what you all are facing, and help to shape some future episodes too. So there you go. Well, um, touchpoint.health. Let us know, like you just said, what you got top of mind. And uh, we'll do a couple of recommendations before we get out of here. What do you what do you got today? Read in the spirit of uh, our open today about snacks, I'm going to recommend a, a TV show that I watch on Netflix. I, I'm going to always remember this show with fondness, not because it's, it's, I, it's okay. It's good. It's a good bingeable show, but it's one that in the first hours, the first few days of having our little one in our house where you don't sleep a lot and you're feeding him at all hours, you know, we had a little Netflix going on in the background and my wife and I came across a show called Snack versus Chef. Oh, it's a cooking show. It's a c- cooking competition show, but it involved all these food scientists and here's the deal. Uh, Every episode, they were competing to cook a replica of a very famous snack that we're familiar with. Let me share with you some of the snacks, right? Flaming Hot Cheetos, Pringles, Kit Kats, Oreos, Gushers, Ho-Hos, Lay's. All of these are like very typical snack foods, right? That you're talking about. And it turns out these people weren't like real just chefs. They were food scientists. So what was interesting about it is they kind of brought science into it. Like I didn't know the science behind making a Cheeto, what a Cheeto is, right? In terms of that puffiness. Well, through this episode, I was able to say, oh, this is how you do it. And it involves a very cold substance that hits a very hot liquid that allows it to explode to make it that puffiness of a Cheeto. I did not know that. And it was just kind of fascinating. Now the show itself was, you know, there are half-hour episodes. They're a lot of fun to watch. 
Um, if you're interested in cooking, it's not like I'm ever going to go and try to replicate making a Kit Kat at home. But it was really curious to see, you know, how they tried to get at that shape of a Pringle and trying to replicate that because they they're, they were doing it in just a regular kitchen. So um, if you want just like a little binge-worthy show, you're kind of into cooking shows, or you just want something going on in the background while you're doing something else, I think that this show is kind of interesting because in the very least, it made me very hungry to, you know, go get a Ho-Ho or an Oreo after I watched the show. So that's my recommendation, Snack versus Chef on Netflix. So nerd clusters, do they just drop them in sand? Is that what happens? (laughs) That's right. All right. I am recommending, so I'm getting old and um, uh, I need glasses uh, to see at a distance. So I don't need much of a prescription, but need a little bit of something just, you know, especially when I'm driving or at night or when I go see my middle one cheer, you know, and she's out on the basketball court, you know, just be able to see the distance. Maybe when you go to a movie or something like that. So uh, didn't need much. I thought, you know, this is an opportunity to try Warby Parker. I like it. Uh, my son likes his glasses he got from there. I think my wife got hers from there as well. We have a Warby Parker in the mall, which is just down the street from the office here. So when I was there during lunch, picked out a pair and uh, ordered them. And uh, so I decided to download their app and uh, really great. And so I can see my account I'm tracking the order. Uh, it is now shipped. Just really well done. The whole process uh, of actually getting an eye exam there from an independent doc and then, uh, you know, having that prescription, walking out in the store, not super salesy, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, Orby Parker, I think definitely worth checking out. Reasonably priced. Uh, a lot of cool frames. And uh, they've got sunglasses too. Yeah, and they kind of reshift. They kind of shifted or even transformed the way the eyeglass industry works because mm-hmm. you know that whole concept of like looking at them online and having them mailed to you. You try on the frames and then they make your glasses. That's kind of cool. So it's very cool, very very cool. So that's my recommendation is uh, Warby Parker and two. I just I like the app. It's a well done app uh, to your to your point with the kind of virtual try on and ship to your house and all that kind of stuff. So. There you go. Well, thanks one and all. Uh, again, reach out to us. LinkedIn uh, It's probably the best way to do that. That's, that's the easiest way that you can leave a meaningful note or send us a private message or whatever. Um, but, but find us on Twitter and other, other socials. Reach out. Let us know how things are going, what we could cover, who we need to talk to, all that kind of fun stuff. We've got some great, uh, great episodes in store coming up. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.